Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All right. I'm going to pray for us, um, primarily because of transition right now, because that song is so good and so upbeat. And the first things that come out of my mouth are going to be so serious. So uh, let's pray. Father God, uh, I ask that this be a place of worship, that this would be a place where we slow down, breathe, and look at you. For those that know you, that uh, we would have the opportunity to stop and surrender once again, even this moment. For those that don't know you and are hungry, that you would reveal yourself to them. Father, uh, for those that have lost their way, let them know your reckless love for them. Let them know that that guilt that they feel is from themselves and not from you. And may they uh, be able to ignore the liar and instead hear the truth from you, the one true God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple years ago, I asked the Lord if uh, he would just take me home. Lord, can I just die? Um, I don't know if you've ever said that before, ever reached that point in your life. It wasn't... uh, it wasn't contemplating suicide. It was, Lord, I need you to just take me home because I can't understand why I'm, why I'm still here. Uh, I had, as many of you know that have walked with us for a while, um, I had extreme rheumatoid arthritis that came out of nowhere. Um, extremely healthy, and then I wasn't. And it was so debilitating waking up with pain. My kids had to take care of me. Um, I felt as if I didn't have a purpose being here. I felt as if I didn't have anything to offer to others, and instead I was a burden. And so common sense, well, Lord, if, you're, if this trial isn't accomplishing anything, so just take me home. This doesn't make any sense. So just take me home and relieve others of what I'm going through. And when you're in the, that pain prior to getting to that place, you'll say things like, well, if only I hadn't gone to El Salvador, then maybe I wouldn't have this rheumatoid arthritis. Maybe I wouldn't have this pain. Uh, We didn't know where it came from, so we thought of all kinds of things that could have possibly brought this on. Uh, We even blamed our dog. If only, Lord, we didn't have a dog, then maybe I wouldn't be stressed and this wouldn't have come up. We... um, had all kinds of other ideas that we came up with. Well, Lord, why would you let there be something in our house then that would cause me to be sick? Is there some kind of hidden mold or is there some kind of asbestos or is there something when I was a kid that I was exposed to or was it my mom smoking when I was a kid? All these if onlys and why. Like why? That was one of the big questions. Why, God? Why do this? Look at what's being taken away from our family and from others. So why do this? You ever been there before? 
You ever been in some kind of physical suffering or emotional suffering or financial suffering and you just ask God, why? And then you get to the point of questioning. If only you had done this or if only you'd kept this from happening because if you are almighty, then either you caused this or you could have kept it from happening. I had a, a couple friends that were praying and they told me recently, a few of them said that, they told God, this doesn't make any sense to us. So if, this one particular person said this, God, if you don't heal Boog, I'm done with you. That's it's pretty heavy. He was saying, I'm going to walk away from you, God, because you don't make any sense to me. And how could you be a loving God if you're going to let him go through this and die? And as much as I appreciate people's care for me. We need to understand something. We think that life is fair. We think that God is good. We, we say he won't let bad things happen to good people because God is good. And then we think if we do good and we do nice things and we obey God, then life will be good to us and we won't have to go through suffering. That's not true. That's not the rhythm of God. As much as I love and appreciate all those that stepped out, their thinking was incorrect. We all need to understand that that is naive thinking and that God is, is saying, look, not only did I not promise that you would not have trials and suffering, I promised you that you would have trials and suffering, not as punishment. I want you to consider this. What if, what if the trials and suffering, what if God has promised to use those for good? What if God has made a promise that you will go through trial and suffering because the Bible is clear about this. The rain is going to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, which is another way to say that good and bad is going to happen to those who are good and bad. It's going to happen. But God has promised that as we trust in him and rely on him, that he will use it for good. And I had to keep reminding myself, I had to keep going through those scriptures over and over again to remind myself in the midst of that suffering that God is good and that there is good that can come from that. Yet we keep asking the question, why, don't we? I mean, I, I looked through this for myself and the ways that I've asked why so many times. Um, especially when it comes to sickness and death. I have a, a good friend that um, he's, he's, his brain's not working right now. And I ask God this question all the time. If only he hadn't have gone out that night, then that wouldn't have happened. Why didn't you keep... I, I, I wonder, why would you let this happen? That's my go-to. That's my default, to ask that question, why, or to say, if only. I have another situation that we went through quite a few years ago where uh, a teenager we were working with was holding on to the back of a car, him and his buddy. The, the car hit a little bump. They were going like 10 miles, 15 miles per hour. They both fell off the back, landed on their heads, and they were in comas. If only they hadn't gone on there. Or, God, why would you let this happen to these kids? Why would you let it happen to these kids? Why would you let it happen to their entire family? 
another good friend of ours was uh, riding his motorcycle, and uh, he pulled out in San Diego on Rosecrans, and he was going down, and then someone just wasn't looking and pulled out right in front of him, and his motorcycle went straight in. He went straight up, came back down, and has been paralyzed ever since. Why? And as Jer said quite often, he said, if only I hadn't been on that road, or if only, those are the questions we ask. I have so many friends that have lost um, babies in childbirth, right after, just before. Why? In our situation with, with our daughter that we lost, we're like, if only we hadn't taken that medicine. Maybe it's that medicine that caused this because it, we didn't take that particular medicine with the other three children. Maybe that's what, if only, or why? God, why couldn't she be here right now? Why couldn't little Erickson be here right now? It's normal for us to ask those questions. Why or if only? I've looked in the eyes of, of friends that say, one friend said, Boog, I don't get it. We've been married for 20 plus years. And she just said she doesn't love me anymore. I've been with a man and a woman together and the woman just looks at me and goes, I don't understand. Why would he start having an affair with this woman when I've been giving my whole life to him? And then she goes through the list, if only I'd done this or if only I'd done that or if... Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a nasty church split. Maybe it's kids whom you've given your life for who grow up and never call or you feel like they don't care. Why do bad things happen to good people? We need to know that everybody gets some broken world experiences. It's going to happen to all of us. The rain is going to fall. And there's a scripture, a couple scriptures. We've had problems with our, our uh, Wi-Fi, so... Bud's going to have to find it and, and put it on there for me. But there's a scripture, very, there's several of them that say very clearly, don't be surprised when you look at what's happening to you. Don't, don't go, how could this possibly happen? Because it's the rhythm of life. It's the way life works. So if this is going to happen all the time, and as the verse that we looked at said in John 16, that Charlotte read, Jesus said, you will have trouble. It's as clear as day. You will have trouble. But then Jesus said, don't worry, because I have overcome the world. I want to suggest something this morning. What if, what if we take this approach? Instead of asking why, let's ask the question, what? Instead of asking, if only... We're making the statement, if only, why don't we instead ask the question in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of others' trials and their suffering, why don't we ask the question this? What? Let's look at what that means. So if you have your Bibles, um, open up to John 11.1, 1, and we're going to look at uh, the rhythm of Jesus. How are we supposed to live in this life of suffering and loss. He promises trouble that it's just part of life, so we shouldn't be surprised about it. So how are we supposed to handle this? So here we are. 
um, in John 11.1. 1, and we talked a little bit about last week, a little bit last week about Mary and Martha and their friendship with Jesus, and he approached their house. But now we're going to see what happens later. Now he's in, in the passage we looked at last week, we saw in that rhythm that he loved them. Like he cared for Mary and Martha. And so he gets word as he's off traveling with the disciples, he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And not just sick, sick, but bad. Like, Jesus, come quick. And so Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So if he loves them, right, he just raced on over. But it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Does that make any sense to any of you? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I wonder how that went across later on when Mary and Martha heard, wait, you heard about it? And then you purposely stayed back for a couple days? And there's so much that happens because he's talking to the disciples about this and they're like, hey, he's just sick. It's not a big deal. Like, no, let me make this clear to you. Lazarus is going to die. That's what Jesus tells the disciples. Look, I know you heard he's sick, but no, he's not just sick. He's not just asleep like, oh, I'm tired. No, he's going to die. And I want you to know this so that when he rises, you will know. But they seem a little distracted because now they're more concerned about the idea that they're going back to Jerusalem. Why are they concerned about going back to Jerusalem? They're afraid of dying. So now they're not worried about Lazarus anymore. These disciples are worried about their own well-being. They're like, hey, remember last time we were there? It didn't go so well. Why are we going back? That's a dumb thing for us to do. This all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Jesus seems like he doesn't have it together right now because he's doing what no one like me would do. Wait, someone's sick? You can go heal him? Now you're going to stay here for two days. What? Hey, remember they're trying to kill us there? Common sense, we shouldn't go back. Now you want to go back. Because after two days, then Jesus says, let's go back. So they start heading back. We'll just keep going through these slides. We're missing some of it, some of the side rabbit trails of this passage because I want to get to the core of Mary and Martha and their suffering with Lazarus. So they're there two more days. Can you go to the next slide, bud? So as Jesus is approaching, Martha hears he's coming. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? When we read these scriptures, these are people that live. These are people that walk. These are not weirdos. They ask the same questions we would. When my daughter died, if you had stepped in, Lord, she'd be here. Martha is a normal human being. She's not wacko for asking this question. Can we go to the next slide? So we jump to verse 28 and 29. So after, because uh, Martha lets Jesus have it, after she had gone through what she was going to tell him, she said this. She went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she said, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. And so the people she was with, they were mourning with her and they saw her get up quickly. So they follow her. And she goes and runs to Jesus. Now, as we talked about the week before, um, 
Mary has a different approach to life than Martha. But she's also normal. And so she asked the exact same question. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. When she fell at his feet, as we talked about last week, there's a rhythm to that. When we fall at someone's feet, it's a little weird. But in this culture, if we put on our Middle Eastern eyes, when you fall at somebody's feet or you go to their feet, you are honoring them. You are saying to them, you're my teacher. They, by Mary's rhythm, by the way that she's approaching Jesus right now, she is being reverent, she's being humble, and she's being teachable. But she also says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When we go through suffering, it is normal for our default to be if only or why. That's what Mary's saying. Look, if you had been here, we wouldn't all be crying right now. My brother would be here, but you weren't here. Now, I don't know the tone in which she said it. By the patterns that we see in Martha's life, remember what a rhythm or a pattern is? It's something you do all the time, right? So when we look at the rhythm of Jesus, we're trying to say, hey, what did Jesus do all the time? When we look at Martha, we try to see the rhythm in her life and see that rhythm changing, we're wondering, what does she do all the time? And with Mary, we see what she does all the time, and she has this pattern of always being at Jesus' feet. In fact, the three times that we hear of this Mary at Bethany, she's at his feet all three times, which means she has this rhythm of saying, what? Lord, what? do you want us to see here? Why, not why did you do this, but what can you possibly bring from this? What can you grow in me? What can you do in the life of others? How can you be glorified through this? Is there something we're missing here? What? Give me some understanding. She's coming, and instead of just asking the question why, she's asking what? That is, that is the rhythm that she has learned. That is the rhythm that she's learned from Jesus. And as we see in Martha's interaction, she's beginning to learn this rhythm. She says in her conversation with Jesus, I know you could have healed him, but I know that he'll rise again on the last day. So she's still trying to look for hope. Okay, this is just temporary. I understand that. But she's still not humbling herself completely. It's, it's got to grow. It's got to happen. We have to have that in our lives. Because when you go out in the next few weeks and it rains in your life, you're probably not going to have the first thing you say be, what, Lord? You're going to have to learn that rhythm. It's something you have to practice. You're probably going to ask why. You're probably going to ask if only. But then you can get to that question of What? The beauty of this is that you, you look at Mary and she says, if you'd only been here, but she also kneels at his feet and she says, what? So by her kneeling at his feet, she is saying, not my will be done, but yours. Does that sound familiar? Because the one that originally said those words was Jesus. On the night that he's betrayed and he's praying, he says very clearly in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Cup 
It's not a literal cup. It's the cup of suffering. He knows what he's going to go through. He's not stressed out so much about being crucified as about the separation between him and the Father. Because for him, there is no greater trial or suffering than the silence of God. But by him taking on all of our sins, he has to suffer that gap. He has to suffer that silence. You know the silence I'm talking about, right? God, are you still there? Because I didn't hear you. I don't see you. Am I deaf or did you just disappear? Jesus knows that moment is coming where his relationship, his interaction with the Father will be broken because of sin, because he's going to take all of our sin upon himself. And so he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then he says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's asking the question, what? Not why, not if only. He's being honest. We need to be honest. Hey, God, I really don't want this. Hey, this RA, it's kind of a drag. Hey, the fact that my lungs aren't working and I feel like I'm breathing through a straw, yeah, I'm kind of tired of that. But I had to continually pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. This makes no sense to me, but I'm trusting you. Jesus in this moment is showing us the rhythm, the rhythm of how we're going to handle trial and suffering. So for this morning, what I hope that you get from this is a few things. By knowing the truth of trials and suffering, as John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Doesn't mean you're going to be happy about it, but at least you'll be free. So here's a few things I want us to know about trials. Can we go to that uh, one slide, bud? Trials are inevitable. They're going to happen. It's nowhere in the scriptures does it say that you won't go through suffering or trials. In fact, it says the exact opposite. So if it says that, we shouldn't be surprised. We should know it's coming. And maybe if it's coming and God is good, maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. That doesn't mean we're supposed to go, Ooh, this is fantastic. I know you have a purpose in this. No, that means something's wrong with you. But know that trials are inevitable. Know also that trials can grow you. They can stretch you. They can not only stretch you, but can they can stretch those around you. Trials can bless others. Did you ever think that what you're going through is going to bring life to someone else? In our situation, uh, the, the most recent one with my physical health, there were so many people in our lives that turned to God because of what we were going through. There were so many people that were thankful for the health in their life because of what we were going through. I continually, to this day, run into people in different places that will pull me aside and say, because of what you went through, my life is different now. Uh, my daughter was taking swim lessons. Uh, she was on a little swim team thing, and I was there, and I saw some people I hadn't seen in a while, a long while. And uh, through that whole process, they pulled me aside and said, we walked away from God. But because of what you were going through as we were praying for you, something happened inside of us. And now we're back at church, and our whole family is following the Lord, and we're free. We know the truth, and now we're set free doesn't mean they were happy about what we were going through. There were no promises that I'd be sitting here today. But 
God can use our trials to bless others. And here's something that is very helpful to know about trials, that trials are temporary. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Revelations, Revelation 21.4 says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's such a beautiful thing to know that our suffering and our trials, they are temporary. They may last a lot longer than we want them to, than we expect them to, but they are temporary. If we know these things, then we can deal with the trials and the sufferings healthier, and we can deal with them where fruit is produced from them. Now, here's the thing. When it happens, there is the process and then the prayer. There's a process of mourning when you're going through suffering, when someone else is going through suffering. You'll say things like, Father, I don't like this divorce. We were a happily married couple. Or I don't know what happened. I don't know where it went south. Father, what's happening to my grandchild? It's breaking my heart. Father, what's up with this cancer? Like, I thought it was for other people, not for me. Father, how in the world could all of our retirement money be gone? This is normal stuff. That's all part of prayer. That means we, it doesn't mean we don't pray that. But once we get through the emotional grieving and the pain of why, we go to our knees and we say, What? And in that prayer of saying what, we could say something like this. Father, what would you like to say to me in the midst of my broken world experience? What, what can you do that would help me be more like your son and that would help me fulfill your purposes? Father, it's obvious that you weren't sleeping in heaven when this happened. This didn't take you by surprise. Your word tells me that you're all-knowing. Your word tells me that you're all-wise. That means you bring about the best possible ends for the most possible people by the best possible means for the longest possible time. Father, please take this experience away, but your will be done. You have sovereignly either decreed this circumstance or you have allowed it. I am the object of your love. So, so what I want to say is, what do I do? What do I say? What do I think? in order to cooperate with your work in my life and in the life of others. That is the rhythm. That's the rhythm that Jesus had as he was facing the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. Or another way to say that is what? What, Lord? Not why, but what? So closing up, in our in one of our situations, in that particular situation that I started with, talking about my health, we got to see God move. Even if I didn't continue to live, we saw God move. One of the things we got to see, which was amazing, is um, 
through this whole process, my wife became a writer. Most of you know about it. She wrote and it went all over the world and people have been moved. We wouldn't have known she had that if it hadn't been through that trial. It was her expression. She didn't know what else to do. So she just started writing down prayers to God. And then she'd start writing things. And then she started sharing with people. And God moved through that. Um, while I was in the midst of that pain, God showed me his reckless love in a way I would have never seen. I remember one of the things I wrote was to, to Stephanie. I said, this is all worth it. I had to write because I couldn't speak because of the things they had down my throat. But I have a peace that I've never had before by going through this. You know, you hear the weirdos that say, I'm so glad I went through this trial. And you think they're weirdos? Well, I was one of those weirdos. In fact, think about it. How many people have you met who have gone through a trial and go, I wish I had never gone through that? There's very few. Even those who don't follow Christ, when they look back at their trials, they go, well, okay, I'm glad I went through that. There are very few people that say otherwise. And there's one last thing I want to share with you guys. Um, it's what happened in my son. My oldest son, Keaton. He was 13 at the time. And um, by him watching what was happening with me, watching me die, because um, I, I guess I kind of left that out for those of you that don't know our story. There was the, the daily pain, but then um, I was in the ICU. My lungs were failing, and the doctors said that I was going to die. And... Um, they actually made all the preparations for me to die. So my son had to see all this. And um, he wrote a letter. And so I want to share that with you. You will most likely not be able to read it from where you're at right now. But I'll read it to you. And he wrote this at the age of 13. And, um, but if you could put that up. And this letter could not have been written if I hadn't have gone through the trial and the suffering. Uh, the depth of him understanding who God is and his love for Keaton would not have happened if he hadn't have gone through the trial and the suffering of seeing what was happening to us. I have to get up and read it because, um, well, he was 13 and he's never really had good penmanship. So this is what he said. He said, over these past few weeks, I've seen the true power of God. Most people imagine God as an old guy in a robe with long hair and special powers. That is how I, that is how I say him, okay, like I said, he was 13. That is how I thought it was also until my dad got sick. It seems bad, but the sickness that struck my father brought mountains and mountains of love towards my family and showed me that the true power of God is not being able to walk on water or turn water into wine, but bring people from all differences and places together for the well-being of another man. My father said in the hospital after he went through hell that if one person was saved in the name of Christ because of his suffering, then all of the pain he went through would be worth it. That is God's true power. All other things are just magic tricks. I want to pray for us. If you could, could you stand with me?
Father God, I know that in this room, for those that are listening to the podcast, that there's a lot of trials and a lot of suffering and a lot of rain. And we know that because you said it was going to happen. It's part of life. And as Keaton said, it may sound bad, but we know that you can create good from it. So Father, we ask that you would grow us, that you would help us to hear your rhythm, your truth, so that we can be set free, so that we wouldn't have expectations, that there would not be trials, that there would not be suffering. Help us to see how life is supposed to be. And Father, we ask that you develop in us a pattern, a rhythm, so that we can move towards asking the question, what more? So that we can come and fall on our knees before you, teachable and reverent and humble. Lord, give us hope. Remind us that this is temporary. Remind us that you have said that you have overcome the world. Remind us that you have promised that all tears, all pain, and all suffering will someday be gone and that the rhythm here on this world will forever be changed. But, Father, we're here, so we need you to remind us of who you are. Remind us to turn to you and ask what? Your will be done, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know some of you, maybe many of you know this, but at the exact same time that Boogie was at his worst, about a week before he went into ICU in December, um, my dad died of ALS. And Boog had texted me the morning even that my dad died, and he said, hey, you know, I can't come to your dad's funeral. I'm too sick, but um, Steph was going to come, and she can't come because she has to stay to take care of me. He was just on a real decline. And so every time he shares about it, it's so, uh, it cuts so deep because our stories are so intertwined, the timing of everything. And something that I've never shared about this time that my dad died um, is that we, my husband and I were in a small group with another couple here at Branches. And um, we, a week and a half before my dad died, we were having our last get together before Thanksgiving. And I was saying to the couple in our group, I'm afraid because my dad is so sick and I just don't know how much worse this could possibly get. And this is really hard on my mom and my sisters. Um, And this is really like, it's just really heartbreaking for us to watch this. And I don't know how much longer this is going to go on. And a week and a half later, my dad died. And not even six weeks later, my girlfriend who I was in this small group with calls me and I answer the phone. And so I'm still kind of in shock for my dad dying. Plus, my dad, it, my dad died two days after Thanksgiving, and then we got into Christmas. So it was Christmas. And I've got two little kids, and we're like doing Christmas, and it was just crazy. So then it's early January, and my girlfriend calls, and I answer the phone, and she's bawling on the phone. just, <gasps> And she said, I just got a call from my mom. She was just diagnosed with ALS. And I have never even told her this, but I just listened I listened. I was like, Lord, just tell me what to say. There was not a lot to say, but to just listen and to be strong, let her cry. I hung up the phone. I called my sister 
and I am bawling as she answers hello. And I told her, everything's okay, don't worry, everything's okay. My friend just called and her mom was just diagnosed with ALS. And my thought, and I've never told my girlfriend this, but she would understand it, my thought was, Lord, this is too soon, too soon. Like, I'm not even out of the shock of this yet, and now I'm gonna start at the beginning again and walk with one of my best friends through this journey all over again, and now I've gotta walk this whole disease again too soon, too soon, and I was mad, too soon. And I just wanna say to you that God knows what he's doing, and it wasn't too soon, because what happened was once we stop asking why and we start asking what, okay, what now? What are you gonna teach me? What are you uprooting from me? What are you gonna change in me? What are you planting in me? What, what, what? The next thing that happens is who? Now who are you gonna use this for the benefit of? Who are you gonna use me to help? Who are you gonna put me in the path of? And so I just didn't think it would come six weeks later, but it did. And what God does through the who is he helps to heal us by using us to be a source of encouragement and a source of strength to somebody else. And I wasn't that far along the road before my girlfriend got onto the same road that I was on. I wasn't that far along, and yet God was able to use me and it helped to heal me to be of use. And you know, Jesus' death on the cross is only in vain if we don't accept what he did for us. And the losses in our lives, whether it's financial, emotional, whatever it might be, relational, the losses in our lives are only in vain if we don't surrender them to Jesus. But when we surrender, it's just that I surrender. When we lose our life, Jesus says, we'll then find it. When we surrender what we think it should be and how it should be and how we had planned it and how we had seen it, when we surrender that, then we really find what it's all about. And now I can say on the other side of it, my dad's life and his death is not in vain because the Lord has brought people to know him because of my dad's death, because of my dad's funeral. We talked a lot about Jesus and more than half the room didn't know who Jesus was. My dad's death was not in vain because when my dad left, Jesus entered in. And I just want to encourage you, if you're still in the what phase, just keep asking what. But if you feel like you're moving through the what phase, start asking who. Because the Lord is going to use you and your loss, I assure you, if you allow him to enter in, it will not be in vain.